From Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes. We break down the big political news affecting Wisconsin. I'm Chuck Quirmbach, filling in for Mayan Silver, speaking with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. Well, hi, J.R. Uh, welcome to the post-election and maybe next election uh, edition of Capital Notes. Oh, thanks for having me. So since we last spoke, uh, Republicans who control the Wisconsin legislature have come forward with some possible topics uh, for the next uh, session, including Speaker Robin Voss talking maybe about a compromise on abortion. Uh, what's he said and maybe what's the political reality of that? Well, he has said that he personally favors adding exceptions for rape and incest to the 1849 ban. He'd also like to clarify that law, what it talks about the life of the mother, saying that he doesn't want to have doctors going to the courts each time that there's an issue arises or a case arises to see exactly what the life of the mother definition is. Now, the challenge is, boss made clear, he is one person speaking about what his preference is. First challenge is, does he have the votes in his caucus to pass a bill that would add more exceptions to the abortion ban, including rape and incest. It is not clear that there are enough votes in the caucus to do that. Two, are there the votes in the Republican Senate caucus to do that? We haven't had the discussion yet. Democrats don't seem very interested in that bill. Governor Evers has said he's not interested in a legislation like that. He wants the courts to decide if the ban from 1849 is still is constitutional. Um, so we'll wait and see that. Keynote on that one's going to be the state Supreme Court race this spring. Uh, if and when that case gets to the Supreme Court, who's going to be hearing it? That could really shape its chances. But it's just not really clear right now that there is an appetite among Republican lawmakers to add exceptions to the 1849 ban. And that's something I'll have a talk about as they convene early next year and get rolling on the session. And that lawsuit that Attorney General and now re-elected Attorney General Josh Call is behind, what is the status of that? There's an attempt by some doctors uh, to join the case, and the defendants have been switched from lawmakers to district attorneys. Uh, is there any sign of progress uh, on that soon? We're just in the briefing stage right now. Uh, last time I checked the court entry on electronic CCAP, we call it circuit court access system. There had not been any updates in terms of a hearing coming up anytime soon, so it has been a little slow moving on that front at this point. Okay. What about other things Republicans have been saying in the last few days? There's talk about education funding, maybe a compromise, or maybe there's more differences ahead. But talk about the education issue, if you will. Well, Robin Voss again told us after a caucus meeting when he was reelected speaker uh, that he's interested in a compromise with Governor Evers, that you know they have to work together and that you know he wants to see universal school choice and he'd be willing to trade the boost in funding that Evers wants for education as uh, long as it's coupled with an expansion of school choice. Now, Robin didn't define what universal school choice is. Remember, we have three uh, choice programs in Wisconsin. There's the Milwaukee program, which is the oldest, the Racine program, and then the statewide program. Each has income restrictions, right, to be eligible for the program. They're higher for Milwaukee and Racine than it is for statewide. Uh, there's a cap right now that increases every year through 25-26 on the number of kids in a district that can go to the statewide program. So what's Robin mean? Does he mean no income li limits? What's it going to look like? What is his vision for that? He said they have to have a discussion to define universal school choice. It'll be interesting to see if Evers will go along with that. Um, but Robin's comment was, you know, we need to improve education in Wisconsin. We need to improve reading scores. And his par paraphrasing him is we're not going to give him a blank check without some kind of reform. So we'll see what that looks like. 
Anything else you expect between Republicans and Evers prior to uh, early January? Is it a six-week quiet period, or what else might come up? Oh, you know, one thing we're going to watch with the governor's uh, administration, are there any changes? Oftentimes, after a governor's reelected, you know, some people in the cabinet leave, some staffers go on to other things. But really, no, it's all gearing toward the state budget. We will see uh, late this week a document from the Department of Administration that lays out its expectations for revenue growth for the next two years. Remember, we're, we're projected to have a budget surplus of about $5 billion and change uh, at the end of this fiscal year of June 30th. Uh, this document will set up the next two years, basically be the building block for the budget the governor's going to introduce sometime probably in February. It'll lay out how much we expect to take in. Uh, we've already seen from state agencies, you know, the billions they've requested in additional general purpose revenue, which is state aid, uh, to pay for things from schools to uh, Medicaid, those kind of programs. The bulk of that request so far, the, the request has been more than $2 billion from the Department of Public Instruction, which the governor has backed, you know, increasing school aids, increasing aid for special education, all kinds of stuff like that. That's going to be the heart of the governor's budget is he wants to do more education stuff. The question is, can you get Republicans to go along with him on that? Okay, well, we'll watch for that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we can't quite let go of last Tuesday's elections. Uh, tell us the status of the Wisconsin Secretary of State race uh, between incumbent Democrat Doug LaFollett and Republican challenger Amy Loudenbeck. Where do things stand? Right now, the last time I checked, uh, Doug LaFollette had a lead of around 7,000 votes and change. It was just outside the margin in which Amy Loudenbeck could request a recount and have taxpayers pay for it. Under state law, uh, the second place finisher in a race can request a recount in a race like this, as long as it's within one percentage point, the difference between the two candidates. It has to be 0.25% or less for it to be paid for by taxpayers. Otherwise, the candidate has to pay for it. My last run of math at it was about 0.29%. Going forward, we'll have these county canvases where the counties get together, they go through their results from the unofficial results from Tuesday, they finalize them, send them to the state. Once the final canvas comes in, which is due, I believe, by November 22nd, you get three business days after that to request a recount if you want. Because Thanksgiving falls in there, you're talking about that following Monday, I believe, would be the latest you could ask for a recount if things fall with that schedule. The challenge, though, is even at 7,000 votes, even if she gets it under the margin for a free recount to her, it's not going to change things most likely. And you have a margin, even of 2.6 million votes cast, a margin of 7,000 votes doesn't really change during a recount. What you do mostly is you feed the ballots back to the machines, you double check the numbers. You know, you have to have basically hand-to-hand -hand battle over every ballot. You know, go through every one of them, look for any deficiencies, ballots that were missed. You know, you have to have a bags of ballots that were somehow missed in the, the count from Tuesday meet. You have to really have some errors to make up that kind of a difference in a race, even if that many votes cast. Okay, another leftover from last Tuesday. Some uh, state of Wisconsin Democrats upset with the National Party over not putting more money into the 3rd District congressional race in western Wisconsin, eventually won by Republican Derek Van Orden. What's all that about? Well, it's interesting that race, uh, it was basically the top of the list of seats most likely to flip party control by national prognosticators. Remember, uh, Ron Kine had been that seat for 26 years, decided not to seek re-election. The second he dropped out, the perception was he decided not to run because he thought he was going to lose or it would be a very difficult race. 
that upped the expectation that Van Orden was going to win. There was a lot of money invested in Derek Van Orden. You add in that district's been trending Republican for a while. Trump won it both in 16 and 20. It just felt like this is going to be a big red wave year, and that district one's going to just flip easily. Well, Van Orden won by 52-48. It was much closer. And so now Democrats are going, why didn't we spend more money in this race when we could have, especially the D, call it Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC. You know, where was the investment? Why weren't they involved? It's a lot of second guessing. And the challenge was, there's a PAC called the House Majority PAC, which is aligned with Democrats. It had about $1.7 million on TV the last two weeks of that race. It pulled those ads, which didn't help Brad Path. But the reality is, in a race like that, it would help if you were spending money early. If you were investing money earlier in the cycle, it likely would have helped Path more than two weeks of TV at the end. And the question is going forward, what's it look like in 2024? Uh, Van Orden uh, has a reputation for being somewhat brash, uh, engages a lot on Twitter with other people, had a couple of incidents that Democrats think he has a, a, bit of a, a bit of a temper, and so they may try and prod him a little bit. Will he work the district hard and try and be good on constituent relations, or will he be somebody who focuses on being you know, on Fox News on the weekends or getting you know, cable hits or being part of the kind of this new breed of lawmaker where they're more about getting attention and raising donations there about getting things done? How is he going to approach this job for the next two years? It could go a long way into determining how he's viewed in 2024. Oh, by the way, who's the GOP nominee going to be two years from now for president? If it's Donald Trump, it actually may hurt Republicans in terms of their chances of winning statewide because of the impact Trump has on suburban voters and urban voters. But it may actually help Ben Orton because Western Wisconsin turns out differently, it seems like, when Trump's on the ballot. So it's really fascinating to watch how that plays out in terms of who's going to be the nominee in two years for Republicans. Yes, and by the way, former President Trump Tuesday night may have something more to say about his 2024 candidacy. Uh, any other implications for Wisconsin, depending on what Trump does? Oh, lots of them. I mean, Paul Ryan, the former House Speaker from Janesville, saying that you know Trump's a drag on the, on the GOP. You've got Republicans who are kind of going, yeah, you know, we've got a problem in the suburbs of Milwaukee. And the more we're associated with Trump, the harder it's going to be to reverse that. Looking at the results from this past Tuesday, uh, it's clear that Republicans have a Dane County problem. I mean, Dane County is an amazing driver of turnout these days. Looking at that county by itself, there were about 172,000 votes cast in Dane County in the 2002 governor's race overall. On Tuesday, Tony Evers won Dane County by 174,000 votes. That is amazing, the population growth in that county, plus how much more partisan it's gotten over the years. Uh, Republicans have an issue in Milwaukee County. Now, Milwaukee County is not turning out the way it used to. It could be a lot of things. It could be, you know, just decline in population. We're trying to figure that out. But with those two issues, the gaps you have as a Republican coming out of those two counties, you have to do better in the suburban areas, i.e. Waukesha, Ozaki, and Washington counties than what Republicans did, what Tim Michaels did on Tuesday. Ron Johnson, he won by 27,000 votes. How did he do it? He lost Dane County by fewer votes than or Mandela Barnes underperformed uh, Tony Evers in Dane County, underperformed Evers in Milwaukee County, and Ron Johnson did better than Tim Michaels in the Wow Counties and they called them the Bow Counties. Brown out of game, he went a big up there in the Fox Valley. That's the path for Republicans, and Donald Trump makes that path harder because he hurts them in those suburban areas. It makes it harder to win because Democrats have a problem outstate. Their numbers are getting worse every cycle in rural counties. The problem is for Republicans is, there aren't enough people in rural areas to make up for the issue they're having in the suburbs because of Donald Trump. 
And we should end maybe with Ron Johnson. Uh, news over the weekend that it looks like uh, Mr. Johnson will be in the Senate Republican minority. Uh, if that holds, as it seems it will, uh, what's his role for at least the next two years? You know, he really wanted to have a, a chairmanship of some kind of committee to be able to investigate the Biden administration. He's vowing to go after them a number of fronts to, in his words, root out corruption in the FBI and those kinds of things. Well, now he's kind of limited to, you know, writing letters, uh, raising concerns, trying to get whistleblowers to come forward. He basically can make a lot of noise without being able to really do a whole lot in terms of investigating people. Now, he can try and stop a lot of stuff, you know, depending on what happens in Georgia with the runoff, Democrats would have 50 or 51 votes. Uh, depends on how that turns out. Will Joe Manchin be as influential as it's been in the past? You know, what's going to happen on that front? But, you know, Ron's not going to be able to really get his bills done, uh, barring, you know, bipartisan cooperation. They could be part of a block that tries to stop things. You know, that's definitely what he might try to do. And then you try and see in 2024, because in 2024, Democrats have a lot of tough seats to defend. Uh, Montana, for example. Uh, West Virginia with Joe Manchin, you know, Ohio with uh, Sherrod Brown. You know, if they win Georgia, they can lose one of those three. And that's not even talking about Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin or, you know, people in swing states like Michigan and Pennsylvania, which, you know, Tammy Baldwin will be favored to win in 2024. They're going to put on the list the top, you know, top 10 races to watch because she's in a swing state. But she's a phenomenal fundraiser, works the state hard. Uh, she'll be a formidable candidate. Still, you can't assume anything. You know, it's a swing state. What if the bottom drops out for Democrats nationally in two years? You just don't know. What I'm trying to get at is 24 may be the opportunity for Ron Johnson to then get back into a chairmanship to have the power he wants to be able to investigate things, but it's not going to be for the next two years. Well, we'll look forward to your guidance and analysis on these things for at least that long. Thank you, JR. Oh, anytime. That was J.R. Ross of WISPolitics.com speaking with me, WUWM's Chuck Quirmbach. Listen for our segments every Monday and check out the Capital Notes podcast wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>